Hello friends, welcome back to another Leroy UMC podcast. To help us continue to be the hands and feet of Christ, please consider tithing by going to LeroyUMC.org giving. So this week is our second week in the new series titled Weird Worship. It's odd that we do so many things that are the same or repeat so much. We do it because worship is meant to ingrain in us the new words to shape our world. We hope that the words of worship stick with each of us so we can carry them with us and let them shape us throughout the week. Let's send it over to Pastor Matthias. One or two, uh, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. There is no interpreter. The speaker should be quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy God, once again we have gathered seeking words of grace and seeking words of new life, and so once again only your words will do. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. For about as long as the church has existed, Christians have debated a question that goes to the very core of the way we worship. Namely, who has the authority to handle the word of God? That is not a simple question to answer. Who has the right to read God's word? Some scriptures are very simple, but some other scriptures are very complicated. Some scriptures can even be a bit dangerous at times. So do you let just anyone read God's words or only those who have the proper training and knowledge? Who has the authority to interpret God's word? Unimaginable joy or unbearable suffering can come from the right or wrong interpretation. So whose job is it to apply the Bible? Who gets to explain the scriptures? Who has permission to stand up and say, this is the word of the Lord? Who has the authority to handle the words of God? By and large, throughout history, the majority of Christians have answered that question by dividing worship and dividing the church into two groups and trusting the word of God to one of them. There are the ordained, consecrated priests who lead from the front and the ordinary, unconsecrated laity who follow along from the pews. 
the ordained and the unordained, the priests and the laity, the leaders and the followers, the preachers and the listeners, from the Dark Ages to the Nuclear Age. That's historically what a lot of church traditions have often looked like. However, in the mid-1700s, the mid-18th century, a new movement started that tried taking a slightly different approach to that question. At first, it didn't look like much of a movement at all. It looked like more of a social gathering. Members of this new movement would still go to church on Sunday morning at the traditional church with the traditional worship and traditional priest. However, once a week, these folks would also gather together at somebody's house in a small group known as a class. Each class had about 10, maybe 12 people in it who knew each other very, very well. They kept their meetings strictly confidential, and every time that they met, they would gather together to pray together, to sing together, to check in with one another, and all together they'd handle the Word of God. Together, they'd study a certain scripture passage. They'd encourage each other by sharing verses that they thought would be particularly helpful. They'd listen to short lessons that tried to apply a bit of God's word to their lives better and better and in stronger and stronger ways. And this movement grew. In fact, it grew faster than anyone, even the founder, expected. It spread fast and in every direction, especially across the American frontier. Wherever a new frontier town was established, one of these classes was soon set up. Sometimes the class even started before the town was formally founded, as happened in a small place called Leroy on the plains of central Illinois. The movement grew and grew. People dove deeper and deeper into God's word. And the most amazing thing about all of this is that nobody was ordained. Granted, there were ministers, but the ministers didn't lead the classes. The minister just stopped by in order to check in with each group to administer the sacraments as they made their rounds, going around checking on all the different classes. But all the actual preaching, all the teaching, all the ministry, all the worship that happened week after week was all driven and all led by passionate, faithful ordinary Christians from the pews who became Christ's hands and Christ's family as they were slowly changed by the words of God that they gathered to handle together. That was the secret of Methodism's early success. Methodism, our tradition, began as a lay movement, a church of unordained, ordinary believers that was all about bringing ordinary people together to get them to read, to study, to hear, to handle the word of God in ways that changed them. 
The goal of Christian life for the earliest Methodists was to sit with the words of God so long that after a while they would start to shape you like ocean waves will shape rocks over time. For as long as the church has existed, Christians have always wrestled with the question of who has the authority to handle the word of God. And for the earliest Methodists, worship was weird because worship was about ordinary people being shaped by the extraordinary words of God that they handled. Of course, long before the Methodists and long before John Wesley, another Christian movement experimented with the idea of getting ordinary believers to handle the word of God in order to be changed by it, namely the Pauline house churches. Contrary to what we might expect or to what we sometimes imagine when we think about the early church, the earliest churches that Paul set up as he went around the Mediterranean were not focused on a single ordained leader. There were lots of leaders in the early church, don't get me wrong, there were people who helped host and organize and coordinate, but there was no separate sanctified class of priests, not as we think about it today. Instead, the glimpse we get of what worship looked like in Paul's earliest house churches is a glimpse of almost radical plurality. It's a glimpse of multiple leaders filling many different roles. Just listen again to verse 26 of that passage in which Paul tells the Corinthians, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And the single most important detail in that verse is the three little words, each of you. And don't misread that either. In the Greek, the word you is plural and all-inclusive. Paul isn't talking about you, the priests, or you, the leaders. He is talking about all of you, the worshipers. As strange as it might sound, there was no real division between the holy ordained and the ordinary laity in the earliest house churches. Instead, worship was something that every believer could and should participate in because every believer was called to handle the word of God in some way. That's another essential detail to pay attention to in that passage. Did anybody notice when that passage was read that all of the different roles and worship functions that Paul identifies all have something to do with handling the words of God or with speaking God's words? Again, verse 26, whenever you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Whether it came from singing the scriptures, from teaching a text, or interpreting a revelation, worship was always about the whole community sharing God's word and truth so that the church might be built up and so that all might be shaped 
by God's words as all handled them together. And that's still another essential thing to notice. All of this happens, Paul says, when you come together. Yes, some scriptures are simple and some scriptures are complicated. And yes, incredible joy or incredible suffering can come from the right or wrong interpretation, but it was by studying, by hearing, by listening, by wrestling with the text with others, with other views and other ideas, and wrestling with the text as brothers and sisters who loved each other, that together... They heard God's words of grace spoken. Worship was not a private, isolated experience in the early church, but worship in Corinth was about being a part of a community of truth-tellers, of active believers, of brothers and sisters, of men and women who act, look, and speak differently because they have been remade by a different set of words than any that you will hear out in the world. And even though things have certainly changed over the centuries, even though worship looks a bit different than it did for Paul or for John Wesley and the early Methodists, the good news is that the one thing that has not changed is that worship is still about being shaped by the words of God because worship is not about the ordained. It's about each of you. We may not prophesy or speak in tongues like our earliest brothers and sisters in Corinth, but worship is still when we handle God's words together in ways that shape us. Just think about the words that we use every Sunday morning. Have you ever noticed how we tend to repeat some of the exact same things every single Sunday? We pray the same church prayer, same Lord's prayer, same scriptural prayer, prayer of illumination. And for almost four years, every Sunday, we all sang the exact same response, lead me, Lord. And that's not an accident, but we repeat so much because those aren't just any words that we repeat every Sunday, but those are almost all God's words. The scripture prayer, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, that's Isaiah 48. The prayer of illumination, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, that's Psalm 1914. Even some of the new responses that we've worked in, uh, in Christ the word became flesh and dwelled among us, that's John 1, and there's a lot more if you sat and picked apart the service. Each time we worship, we handle the words of God together in our prayers, in our words, in our responses, and in ways that over time help those words imprint on you, shape you, mold you, and leave you with a few verses, a few prayers, a few responses that you can always pray or sing, or even just say to yourself any time throughout the week, whatever happens. It's so that no matter what happens in your week or in your life, 
you will always have at least a few words of God to keep you fixed on God's words of new life. And when we do open ourselves up to God's words, when we are willing to let the scriptures we study and the verses we pray shape our beliefs, shape our actions, shape who we are, that is when we find that worship isn't just about ordinary people handling God's words, but the church is about ordinary people becoming the hands and family of Jesus Christ. That's the miraculous thing, not just about the strange stuff that we do Sunday morning, but about the strange things we do every single week. We may not meet in frontier chapels or in meeting houses, but like our earliest Methodist brothers and sisters, worship is still led primarily, not by the sage on the stage, but by all of you. I might speak for the longest amount of time Sunday morning in worship, but we only have a worship service because we have Jared leading music, Scott correcting audio, Kathy, Cassie, Annie, and Caitlin singing, Colin, Carla, Dave playing, Harry, Jace, and Rick running slides, Sue and Catherine running the camera, not to mention we have the Suitors, the Quins, the McClellans, the Steins, the Taylors as ushers, Rosemary and Barb and others going out of their way to set up fellowship time. We have Sunday school teachers, finance counters, and Jerry and Joyce preparing the sanctuary before any of us have even set foot in it. Worship does not happen because of a single priest, but because of you. And the exact same thing could be said about all of our ministries, all the ways that we reach out. Worship without walls, feed my sheep, peace meals, the great banquet, the Boy Scouts, adult Sunday school, mercy ministry, Methodist men, Hope Circle, not to mention the dozens of small groups where ordinary men and women still gather together to handle God's word together and walk together. And all of it is led, organized, and driven, not by the set apart ordained, but by ordinary men and women from the pews who have heard God's word and God's call to become Christ's hands and Christ's family in some way. That's the beautiful thing about this church family and the thing that we not only get to hear about, but the thing that we get to be a part of. A lot has changed over the centuries, and a lot will go on, changing in all the years to come. But from Corinth to Leroy, the good news is the church is not about the ordained, consecrated priests and ministers. But as Paul observed, church is about each of you coming together. It's about the gifts that God has given you. It's about the passion that God has stirred up in you. It's about all the service God has equipped you for. It's about all the ways that you let God turn you into Christ's hands when you sit with the words that God has spoken to you. Methodism has, from the very beginning, 
been a movement, a church driven primarily by ordinary Christians because Methodism has always been a church that knows that anyone can become the hands and family of Jesus Christ. All it takes is a willingness to come together and let God make you into something new with God's new words of new life. Leroy UMC is not the body of Christ because it's the church of Matthias or Eric or Mary Louise or Brent or Marvin or anyone else. Leroy UMC is the body of Christ because of each of you and your willingness to handle God's word every time we worship and willingness to let that word remake you into the hands and family of Jesus Christ every Sunday, every week, every day. For as long as the church has existed, Christians have always wrestled with that question at the center of the way we worship. Who has the authority to handle the word of God? And while things will always change, the miracle is that from Corinthian house churches to Methodist meeting houses, God's word is something that we are all called to handle together because Christ's family and Christ's hands is something that we are all called to become together. So may we always hear that call. May we always handle words with grace and may you always be body. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Friends, please pray with me. Christ Jesus, make us your hands and make us your family by the way we serve our neighbor, love each other, and handle your words of grace. Christ, come and find us in this church, and like so many who have come before us, May you weave our lives together and make us into your body. Christ, change and prepare us to be your hands, your feet, your family in all the ways that you have planned. And in whatever comes, Lord, may you never stop bringing us back to your words and your life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you are blessed and that you are a blessing. Go in peace.